This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase, without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, that's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and United are nearly playing a football match again. It's been a while. We'll preview the trip to Newport County later on in the podcast in the FA Cup. We've got lots to get through before then, including an update on Omar Barada, an update on Ineos, an update on transfers and a few other bits and bobs to wrap up as well. We've got a full house once again. We're spoiling ourselves at the start of this new year, aren't we? Carl Anker's here, Andy Mitten's here, Laurie Whitwell's here as well. Laurie, one place to start. Another piece has dropped on Omar Barada. This time, the inside story of how Manchester United nabbed him from Manchester City. Worth a read? Well, this is it. Some of the comments are suggesting that maybe we are barraded out. We are overdosed on Omar. Um, because you know, he's quite, we've written quite a few pieces. I just thought of that then. We've written quite a few pieces uh, on him since uh, David Ornstein broke the news uh, at the weekend. And I mean, yeah, a chief executive appointment, does it really warrant an inside the deal read? You know, usually that's reserved for star signings. He has been nicked from City, hasn't he? Well, you know, we, well, we even reflected it. the excitement on the last podcast, I think. So, yeah. And I think because it's such a disruptor kind of move you know it's 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 got intrigue to, to it still right it's, it's not just well how, how have they done it which is what the piece is isn't it yeah yeah exactly that so and, and because it's so unusual for United to act so quickly so secretly so boldly the piece tries to explore a little bit of that um, it details the Dave Brailsford role in it which I think we all knew going into this uh, situation with Ineos that he would be a pivotal figure but it kind of explains a little bit about how he uh, sort of sensed the market and and uh, sort of ascertained that Barada would be a good person to get and also gettable. Uh, apparently it was only uh, Real Madrid or Manchester United that he would have left City for. So two, you know, huge clubs. It's a very small pool, given he was, as we've spoken about previously, earmarked for that kind of chief executive role at City one day. Um, but clearly, you know, as it's turned out, he didn't want to wait uh, and he, he got the opportunity to come to United, which I think... <laughs> I sense that the the opportunity to kind of rebuild a club is is certainly one that appeals to him and having a a crucial role in that. It's a career-defining challenge, that, isn't it, to be fair, to to rebuild a fallen giant like United? Yeah, hugely. I mean, this is, you know, kind of legacy-defining stuff. If you want to get sort of a bit high and mighty about it, it's... You know, I'm sure money is a, is a big factor at times and power and control, but also I think people do have a, 
you know, a certain sense of being able to leave something behind and, you know, kind of really uh, build a reputation. So there's that element to it. And, and also just the Glazers' involvement. I mean, we've, we've had Adam Crafton's piece um, also yesterday, which touches on this in terms of the staff meeting that was held and the word coming from Patrick Stewart, the interim chief executive, that Ineos would have sort of more influence over the whole club, not just the football function, which clearly the chief executive comes under. Um, but it's all been so far in collaboration with the Glazers um, and they, you know, they were quick on this one as well. You know, they, they caught a flight at short notice to, to Monaco to meet him, uh, also be uh, impressed by him. Uh, and it was what we're told is that it was a collective decision at the end of it all. Carl, how encouraged are you by the idea of Ineos having an influence over more than just the football operations of Manchester United? That's the theme of Adam Crafton's update on Ineos. And this situation reflects that as well, really. I felt it was inevitable or surprised it's been communicated to staff this quickly. You know, you, you talk about running the football side. Well, there were questions like the the training ground. You know, if, you, if you're trying to get an extension to things in Carrington, does that fall on the football side or does that fall on the infrastructure? Um, and it seems as if Ineos is going to have more of a lead on everything. Um, the fact that this is being openly emitted and communicated suggests to me that there will not be the potential friction between majority and minority owners that you can experience at some other clubs. We're not going to have too many cooks. It, it seems to me now that the Glazers are happy to take more of a backseat and let Ineos run with things, which should be encouraging considering Ineos have a slightly better track record at running successful football clubs than the Glazers in the last however many years. Like I said before, Andy, at the start of the podcast, United are nearly playing matches again. It feels like it's been ages since we saw the team kick a ball, but so much has happened during that time. How encouraged, or, or what do you make of it all? I shouldn't put words in your mouth. What, what do you make of this developing situation off the field? You're right to touch on the lack of games. Three matches in January, seven last January. We're really feeling it. And we've had that in Three next week? Yeah. Yeah. But up until that point, you know, it's very difficult to get momentum going when there are no games being played. So the off the field news has filled a gap and rightly so. It's a big story. I'm encouraged by it. I think there's lots of fans seeing it as the shiny new toy. Everything's going to be better now. New executive coming in. He does have an excellent um, track record. I'm seeing some hypocrisy from United fans who absolutely slaughtered the prospect of Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos completely changing their tune. Like, we're now a serious football club. I'm like, wait a minute, four <laughs> months ago, you were calling him Sir Jim Rat. You know, where'd you stand? Do you do this, do you do this in other areas of your life? Just totally change your tune and do a reverse ferret. So people are investing hope into a brighter future. And it is... Part of the reason is the Glazers set the bar so low that just the fact that people are coming in and meeting people, whoa, talking to people, they're communicating, it just puts them in a really positive light. But much of this positiveness is investing in the hope of a brighter future. And there will be people who, if United continue to be poor, in as little as three, four, five months, will start to slaughter the people who've coming in and... We're constantly told this is going to take time. You know, there's a big rebuild going on here. But then we've been told there's a big rebuild and transition four or five times in the post-Fergie era. We mm. normally apply that to the football side of things. Now it's more on an executive level. Again, I'm encouraged by it. I'm encouraged by everything I've heard. 
but there's caveats which I've explained. What do you think they'll do next, Andy? I think they'll probably put a sports director in, which is a a model which works for most European top football clubs. Do you think they'll do it quickly? I know that Ineos looked around and thought, wait a minute, why is Man United's system different to everybody else's? And most modern managers are now used to working with a sports director. And this is a massive change because when David Moyes replaced Ferguson, I remember speaking to Ed Woodward. He said, no, all power with the manager. That's the system we go for. Everything with the manager, never mind sports directors. And some managers, older school managers, tend to be a little bit sniffy about working with a sports director. But that is the way that it has worked so well. I mean, in Spain, it's been that way for, for years. And Pep Guardiola and, and Chiqui at Manchester City have shown how, how, how it's working there. Liverpool have had good success. So I would expect an experienced sports director who's well-respected in the game to join Manchester United. I don't know the timescale on that, but if you would have asked me a week ago, um, would Omar be leaving Manchester City to join Manchester United? I didn't have a clue about that. I think it took a lot of people by surprise. But as it says in the athletic piece, Pep Guardiola found out last week, Ferran Soriano found out last week. I quite like the way that Ineos are working in stealth. Dave Brailsford, he's been at Carrington again this week. He's been watching matches. He's been watching training. He's he's gone all all hands in on this. Yeah, fascinating part of the piece, Laurie, as well was getting inside some of the meetings that have been taking place at Old Trafford, some of the staff briefings that have happened uh, inside United as well. And I went visual on the idea of Patrick Stewart holding a briefing and a staff member pushing back on Omar Barada because of how important a role he held at City during the time in which they've now been faced with these 115 charges from the Premier League for their dealings during that time. I mean, to be able to find this out, but also to understand the way people are working inside the club, the concerns that there are, pushbacks like that, it's going to be a very, very interesting thing to keep a close eye on because you get the sense that this is just the start of the change. Yeah, I think uh, I have to give credit to colleagues for getting that kind of information. I think, you know, there's we've got several, you know, Adam Crafton, Paul Ballas, Mark Critchley, Dan Sheldon, that have all kind of collaborated and, and worked together. Obviously, David Ornstein, who, who broke the original story. But I, I think fair, fair fair play to that staff member for kind of asking that question because it is one that several staff members at United will be wondering. Um, so but to actually ask it in a public forum of the guy that's currently running the ship I think is uh, a, a sort of good thing to have healthy dialogue about this. All that we get told is that there's been due diligence done on Omar Barada and the 115 charges that Manchester City face and United are confident in the appointment. So you have to take that at face value. It's fascinating times. And I'll touch on this in the piece that I wrote on Jim Ratcliffe's first 30 days. You know, it's only been a month since it was actually confirmed, you know, Christmas Eve. I mean, so, so much has happened and, and so much feels like it's going to happen as well. Like I say, it's it's really fascinating times. There's so much going on and there's definitely questions that will still be asked as the weeks continue. Well, if you want to read about any of the articles that we've talked about over the course of the start of this podcast and need to point you in the direction of The Athletic, there's been some fantastic writing on there, the very, very best coverage of the Ineos changes at Manchester United so far by our writers. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod if you want to sign up now. A subscription is $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Do 
Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Right, before we move it on, I need to say that voting closes on Sunday for the award that we've been nominated for. It's the best team podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards and we'd absolutely love your support. We'll put the details of how to vote in the show notes. We'll also stick it out on our social media once again. But like I say, voting closes on Sunday, so please, please get on there and give us a vote. We'd really appreciate it. Let's move it on. Um, I'm away at the moment on a a forest-themed activity holiday. I won't name the (laughs) well-known brand involved. Uh, unless that'd get me a free holiday next year, so maybe I should. But anyway, I was in the bar yesterday, and there's tons of screens all showing Sky Sports news. And on the yellow ticker at the bottom, breaking news, Anthony Martial out for 10 weeks with a groin injury. This guy next to me at the bar turns to his mate and says, he always gets injured in the transfer window just so he doesn't leave, which is quite a hot take. But it is a confusing situation with Anthony Martial, isn't it, Carl? It's done. It's done. We should uh, take our black gloves, yeah. hang them up, uh, take our Martial FC cards, put them in the bin. It's, it's, it's over. C'est fini. You don't think he's playing again then? No, no. Thank you for the wonderful memories and the, and the, and the wonderful link-up play with Marcus Rashford. This is the end of Anthony Martial, Manchester United football player. I know there was some miscommunication from Sky Sports about a, a potential conversation about renewing his contract, but from what I understood... Even as early as the first three weeks of the season, Martial was not going to have his contract renewed this summer. This is this is it. Well, how, how quickly United moved to actually clarify what Eric Ten Hag said in that press conference didn't suggest that there was a, a contract coming anytime soon for him. I mean, the 10 weeks puts him out until April, Andy. Any reason to disagree with, with Carl's take there? No. If he's a mobile phone battery, he's on 3 or 4% now. I think that <laughs> even the most optimistic Anthony Martial fans, and there are a lot of them... They were, uh, at ...have least. given up. Yeah, yeah. They were. They've given up. They've just... Uh, maybe we might see him come back in, end of season, score a belting goal, because that, that has been his career. Yeah. You know, come in, a dead rubber, 38th game of the season... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking up when United he are playing does. Everton next. Hang on. <laughs> oh, th- 9th of March, too soon. He's been extremely well paid for a less than productive return. And these are exactly the type of uh, players who the new regime should not be being so patient with. The fact he went to Seville with an idea of reigniting his career and failed there and still plays at Manchester United is pretty damning. Nine years. I'm not the first person to to point this out clearly, but it's amazing that he's been there for nine years, Laurie, because it feels like he's been limping along quite literally at times, actually, uh, and and not making much of an impact on the team. 
and yet he's been there for nine years. I mean, that's going to be longer than some absolute legends of Manchester United. Do we know anything about this this injury more than it, it being a, a groin problem and, and needing surgery? Because, I don't know, I mean, it, it seems strange that it, it wasn't really mentioned to this point. It's been a really sort of curious period, hasn't it, where he was reported ill for uh, the Liverpool game on the 17th, I think it was, of December. Uh, and then that was just kind of the reason for his absence for several weeks, really. And you're sort of thinking, what kind of illness is this? Uh, and then he was in the stands for the Tottenham game, you know, sat in the row between Wayne Rooney and Dimitar Berbatov, you know, probably a decent attacking trio. Uh, oh, in their, we in we had pop. a few messages about that, pointing out that Martial and Berbatov played together at Monaco. We were sort of speculating Good whether point. they played together at all. But yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's not go into who who's played with who because we got quite a few responses to the question about Kobe Mainu and <laughs> Casemiro that we raised in our last podcast. Um, the very best but, insight on talking to the Devils. <laughs> Move on swiftly, Laurie. Thank you. Yep, great. Thank you. Sorry, guys. Yeah, Mainu came on as a, went off as a sub at halftime. <laughs> Casemiro came on for the second half. Anyway, they, they played six minutes together. together against Real Madrid, so you know, right. plenty yeah. to glean from that uh, experience. Who was further back? Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's move <laughs> on. In fact, Casemiro kind of got Mainu injured in that game. I'd now recall, but anyway. Um, yeah, so talk about a different injury. Uh, so yeah, then Martial sort of shows up in the director's box. I'm thinking it's quite cold. He was wearing a big coat, but you know, it's if he's ill, it's probably not the best idea, I guess. Uh, so at that point, it clearly it was now this groin problem. Um, and from what I understand, it's it's one of these things where you you can you could play through it if if you really were determined to play. And, and you know, players do play through pain sort of all the time. We spoke about Marcus Rashford, Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay. You know, they've all you know players. Done, Anthony Martial will have done it definitely at, at different points in his career. But it's one that was monitored and kind of discussed. What is the best course of action here? Is it just rest, or, or do we need to go sort of under the knife for it? In his position, he's probably thinking, well, listen, I'm, I'm leaving United at the end of the season. You know, Do I really want to be pushing my body now and potentially re-injuring myself or making it worse? I'd rather go under uh, surgery. United are fine with that. It's not like they are you know, outraged that he wants to do this and he should you know, be putting his body on the line in this situation. I think they're quite you know, mature about it and they realise the... The, the the reality of the situation. Um, so yeah, he's going to go. Well, he's gone under the knife, and it's you know it's been a success. And if he's back in ten weeks, then that does leave sort of seven games left. I'm I'm you know sort of similar to Carla. I can just I don't I wouldn't see the value really in in playing him at the end of the season. It's probably the fitting end to his career at United though, and it is a shame because you'd look at his actual technique and it looked like him. You know, Marcus Rashford were going to sort of tear it up under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and they did. You know, he scored 20 goals each that season, but that that was the highlight. You know, it's been I think nine, 90 goals in in nine years for United, so nine a season. It's it's just no, nowhere near the level that you'd expect for a, a sort of 47 and a half million pound investment. Ralph Rangnick having sort of concerns about Martial. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Jose Mourinho both had concerns about Anthony Martial as well. Mourinho left in 2018. You know, you're talking five and a half years ago. It's incredible, really. The, the one thing it does do, Andy, it puts a bit more pressure again on the workload for Rasmus Hoyland, doesn't it? Which there's less games, clearly, in the remainder of this campaign than than what we've had in the first period of the season with no European football. But that's going to have to be something that Ten Hag manages carefully now, isn't it? Because there's no Martial to rotate with or even bring on for the last half hour here and there, however he did it. There's an over-reliance on a rookie forward, which I don't think is entirely fair on him. And that's a forward who I see lots of potential in, but one who gets very limited service. And there aren't as many games. There are more away games as well. We've not got the the, 
there's no League Cup final this year. There's obviously no European football as well. So United need goals. The team needs goals. And in normal circumstances, you'd be thinking, could a, could a lone striker come in during the, this January transfer window? Um, but it's been so quiet. And even compared to, to, to last year and the financial fair play, Rules are significant as well. So, yeah, it's it's a real issue. The, the team that needs goals has lost one of the strikers, but then that striker, what, scored at Everton? You know, he's not been an important part of the team. And, and when, when we put the information out yesterday, it was just met by a wall of, well, nothing changes because he's not been figuring anyway. People have just resigned that, that it's come to this with him. I think if there is a beneficiary, and I'll put this in air quotes, of this Anthony injury is probably Anthony Dos Santos, Brazilian Anthony, in that Martial's injury means Marcus Rashford now becomes the backup centre forward, which means Garnacho will probably start playing a couple more games on the left-hand side if an event happens where Hoyland is taken off, which then, in turn, frees up the right-hand side space. Um, and while I was impressed by what Ahmad did, in the disappointing defeat against Nottingham Forest, I still think Ten Hag will probably give Anthony the right-hand side berth for now. So, yeah, I think I think that will be the attacking plan B in in the games where Hoyland or the minutes where Hoyland might be starting. I, I, Laurie, anything on our possible January signing? Are we up texting yeah. Valt Vegost again? <laughs> well, this is my thought. When it happened yesterday, I was like, surely they're going to make a, a quick emergency signing now. Like, I mean, but then again, they've known about this situation for a little bit, clearly. There's been no rumblings in the first three weeks. And the information that I got yesterday was that they won't be making a January signing. FFP, as Andy's mentioned, the PSR, it's just so tight. Because he's got players coming back, you know, Casemiro, Mason Mount. Um, Ahmad, you know, I know they're not strikers as such, but they're potentially players that could help United get some more goals. But I mean, you just look at the Marshall thing just to finally finish it off. He's not not played ninety minutes in like three years uh, in the Premier League anyway. It was Sheffield United that game where United could have gone top, you know, in twenty twenty one, and and they ended up losing. And I mean, that, that that's such a long time since you played ninety minutes in the Premier League. So what's really interesting is he did an interview with France Football. I want to say last season, so post Sevilla, where he talked about. I mean, he Martial was terrible in that 2021 season. He just completely lost all interpretation of space, and his finishing touch abandoned him. And he said in this interview that he came into that season injured and he couldn't accelerate for the first three months. So that Sheffield United game, we played 90 minutes, was the first game where he could actually properly go full tilt. He also said that when he can't accelerate, things get really difficult, which is. I think his admission of I didn't pay enough attention in 2017, 2018 and others to when I was a bit younger and managers went, you need to do this and this and this because you're not always going to be rapid. And now he's lost his pace. He has no idea where to run. Uh, and another thing in that France football interview, he said, he said he's not like a striker like Cavani. So Cavani can miss out a week or two weeks and come in and he will play 100%. There's no ring rust. And he admitted that by all accounts, when he plays, he needs two or three games to build up some momentum. And I went, this is really insightful. You're aware of your own flaws. Why is it taking you until age, I mean, it's the way, right? It takes you till 28 before you realise how silly you were at age 22 and 23. And I think that's been the unfortunate thing about Martial is that the you know he's, he's entering what are traditionally considered your prime years for a striker. And he seems to have 
a vague idea of what he needs to do to make his career right. But his body is now completely broken. He, he picked up that hip injury and that saw him miss out whatever latent chance he had for playing for France at Euro 2020. And ever since then, all the muscles attached to that hip are just gone. I think it's a shame because I, I could see a Martial being signed again. He was fantastic for Monaco. You know, Berbatov oh, yeah. spoke of how good he was. And and if his equivalent was signed tomorrow, everyone would be excited again. Absolutely. And that was done by stealth. I remember getting a call going, X has just gone to Paris. We've just booked a flight for him. And, and people were excited. Marcus Rashford got his chance because of injuries. If you look at the... Players, the strikers, Charlie McNeil, he's not even getting the game at, at Stevenage now. And he was at Newport last year where, where he did well. And I spoke to Newport's manager about him. Joe Hugill is at Burton Albion. These lads are 20, you know, they're not 16. If they're really desperate, then a young striker could be put into there. But the fact that they're both at League, League Two, League Three clubs shows that maybe they're not going to make it at Manchester United either. An aspect of Martial's story this season, Carl, was the aspect you spoke about before, Ten Hag in his press conference, seeming to suggest that there were talks taking place over a new contract for him and then Manchester United pushing back and and clarifying exactly what was said. And that feeds into your piece that you've put on The Athletic this week as well about Ten Hag's communication. What did you learn from looking into his communication? Uh, Unfortunately, not much has changed. Since his days in Ajax. So we received information at The Athletic that um, Ten Hag's preference for really comprehensive and forensic tactical sessions was turning off some United players. Um, We put this to the club uh, and they offered a rebuttal saying that Ten Hag's meetings often last between 20 and 30 minutes, not upwards of an hour, according to some of the information we got. And I said, okay, fine. Uh, they also said that while Ten Hag likes having those meetings or perhaps has had more meetings than previous United managers, they don't think you know he's a rigid whatever picture is being painted. But something was mentioned in this talk about having really comprehensive tactical meetings that set a light bulb off in my head and made me go through my dossier on Ten Hag from his time at Ajax. I went off and talked to Peter Zwart, who is a editor at Vertebol International in the Netherlands. And I said, um, this sounds awfully familiar to when Ten Hag had just joined Ajax and people were saying he was a bad communicator and he was boring players by having loads of meetings. And Peter said, yep, pretty much. First couple of months where Ten Hag came in, so Ten Hag came in midway through the 1819, not the 1819 season, sorry. He came midway through the season. He joined in December when he first started his five-year stint at Ajax. We've spoken before, they mocked him for his accent. They said he was very weird. They said he was not an Ajax manager. They said he was he was too German. And there were reports that his meetings were too long. So uh, I looked into what was what was said in, in the Netherlands and whatnot and how it's really interesting in that he eventually won everyone else over in Ajax because him having really long meetings, him being tactically focused and him, especially at Ajax, bringing transition-based football to Ajax, won winning results. And then everyone, oh, this man's a genius. He's the best manager in the world. Whereas... After an initial good stint at Manchester United, his talk about rules and discipline is beginning to get a bit weary. His talk about transition-based football is not as effective in England and so on and so on and so forth. That's how the piece came together. I, I, I would recommend you, you, you give it a read. I've come away from it, much like how I come away from most Ten Hag press conferences where I'm going, 
I think that makes sense. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's a fair summary, I think. So definitely take Carl's recommendation there. Go and have a look if you want to know more about Ten Hag's issues with communication. So much to Andy Mitten's disappointment, Manchester United are off to Newport County in the fourth round of the FA Cup this weekend. But Andy being Andy, he still managed to find that key Manchester United link. We mentioned it on the last podcast, didn't we, Andy? The managed by a Manchester United fan. A proper Manchester United fan, someone who travelled over from, from Dublin, where he's from, in the 80s. Um, unfortunately, being a professional footballer got in the way of his career of going to all Manchester United games because there were clashes. But yeah, Graham is um, a proper character. The interview with him goes live on The Athletic on Friday. Some great stories in there. And he's doing well. Newport have hit form. I think the seven unbeaten now. They beat Wrexham at the weekend. The, the ground's been expanded with temporary stands. The capacity was just short of um, 10,000. And while United have never played a competitive game against them, and 11 was sent there in 2004, and someone sent me the programme, and it includes names like Thomas Heaton, Luke Steele, <laughs> Philip Bardsley, Adam Eckersley, Mark Howard, Daniel Simpson, Ben Collett, Christopher Eagles, Neil Wood, uh, Mads Tim, Ramon Calist, yeah, so United have, have, have sent a, a team there in the past. Manchester United need to win this game. Great for Newport. It's a hard bit in City and the buzzing off Manchester United coming. Tickets sold out in absolutely no time and there were a few kerfuffles near the ticket office where frustrated fans who hadn't got lucky um, got them, but no, there can be absolutely no excuses. And it's a really hard ticket for the United end as well because of the small allocation. Graham Coughlin is the manager. If you want to talk to me about Man United, I'm here all evening. Casemiro and Varane at Rodney Parade. Think about that. Is that a wham? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I still can't carry my head around it. They're unbelievable names. Yeah. Just, just to have, have uh, Manchester United Football Club coming to Rodney Parade. Unbelievable! It's 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 a hell of achievement, and I don't know I don't know when it'll sink in, but uh, I'm, I'm sure my dad and my, my brothers, my nephews, my kids are doing Irish jigs around the house at the minute. I'm sure they're doing somersaults, to, to be quite honest, because uh, it's going to be a hell of an occasion. It's going to be a hell of an occasion, and I just can't wait. I can't wait to be honest. He's a proper character, and when I'm speaking to him, he's talking like a fan, going, "This has got to change," you know. I'm, I'm like, "You're playing him on Sunday." <laughs> 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 There's a lovely bit where he's driving down the M1. United are playing Wigan on the radio, and he, he lives in Sheffield. He lives in Sheffield and manages Newport County. That's a hell of a commute. Abs- and and this is pretty normal for managers of this level. Their families stay in one position, and and they, you know, they have skills and they do travel. And his phone starts going mad and his wife and kids are ringing him and they shout, Man United, Man United, Man United. And he's like, we must have scored. No, we must have scored. And like, well, my whole family, apart from his son, who's a Chef Wednesday season ticket holder, are Man United. So he thinks this is pretty normal. But then his phone explodes. So he pulls over at the services and he checks his phone. And then he sees Eastleigh or Newport County against Wigan Athletic and Manchester United. So Graham's been in football, professional football for 30 years. He's been hoping for a draw against Manchester United for 30 years. Wow. It hasn't come. 
until now. Yeah, I'm pleased for Graham. If nothing else, that sounds like a, a dream. Um, you mentioned before about sending an 11 there in 2004, did you say? Yeah. So was that a Rodney parade? I think they were. You're getting me deep here now. Right. <laughs> Newport County went under in 89. And that's one reason why fans appreciate just having a football team. Their old ground was called Summerton Park, right? It also staged Speedway. And they moved around a little bit, but they have been at Rodney Parade, which is a rugby ground traditionally, very close to the River Usk, and five minutes walk from the city centre. Beautiful River Usk. The beautiful River Usk. It ain't beautiful, look. I don't know who would question it. I'll be kindly to Newport. (laughs) Uh, Graham, same things to be like. You know, you can have a good drink from the walking from the station to the ground. There's a good run of bars. So Manchester United fans listening to this, take it on board. It's uh, There's a lot of Man United fans in Newport. If you go on a pre-season with Man United to China or to America, there's often a Newport Reds flag. And they're obviously buzzing, but half of them have not been able to get tickets. Yeah, um, as well, I read actually that the match is worth around £400,000 to Newport. They've got the lowest budget in League Two, which I was quite surprised at. But then you look at the you know, the standing of some of the teams in that division and maybe it's not that much of a surprise. And United have saved them or helped save the club in the past as well. 1976, they sent a team to take on a South Wales eleven. They raised £8,000. It was a United team that included the likes of Alex Stepney, Lou Macari, Steve Koppel as well. They lost 1-0 Manchester United against the mighty South Wales eleven. So there is some history between the clubs, but it's always interesting, Laurie, when United are facing a team they've, they've never played before. Yeah, I enjoy it. I mean, without getting too cliche, it is what the FA Cup's about, right? The you magic know, of the teams. FA Cup, you were going to say I didn't it say magic. I, I refuse to say magic. You've uh, now said it twice, so that's good. Damn it. You've, you've, you've done that again. You've, you've led the question. You've teased <laughs> it out of me. Classic interviewer. Sure. <laughs> but it's just funny. I remember when they played Spurs and and that they had a good run that year I think and um and you know they actually went ahead against them and it was like a late equalizer that Spurs needed and it it was that kind of edgy are we on the cusp of something that's only going to happen once in a generation um I know Andy's you know had five of them but uh, these generations but um, <laughs> it's in six, you know, it doesn't actually it's yeah. in these six they, they don't they don't they, this kind of thing doesn't happen does it really you know Andy's having to troll back to 2004 for some you know t- what what were they in there for was it a friendly or something, Andy? So I know I'm putting you on the spot again, but yeah, it, it was a friendly. So right. the reserves often have a different schedule, and Man United was so popular. They can't, you can't send the first team to Newport because they can't afford the match fee. So you send a, a hybrid team. You still put, you're helping them out because a big crowd turns up, and Newport's average is four thousand. They take about three hundred to most away games. They had nearly ten thousand against Wrexham at the weekend. This line about having the lowest budget in the league. I'm always intrigued by this because I don't believe it. Okay. I reckon there's eight to ten teams in each league who say... They've all got the lowest budget. Because it, cause it, it, it accentuates the job that they're doing, doesn't it? If, if they're yeah, 14th, yeah. <laughs> I hear it all the time in non-league, yeah, but one of the two lowest budgets in the league we've gone. And, you know, obviously we're doing all right because we're ninth. <laughs> so I'm a bit sceptical when I hear that. But I think it's great that, that this is happening. Man United just got to make sure that they get through the game. Yeah, if anyone's got a spare calculator and corroborate Newport County's claims then uh, for Andy, then that would be greatly appreciated. Um, the, the FA Cup's important though, Carl, now, isn't it, for United? It's the last chance of silverware for this season. I know that they've got to go there and win at the weekend and the magic of the FA Cup can sometimes uh, 
you know, create some giant killings. There's another cliche uh, that's come out towards the end of the podcast. Um, but United should go through. And then you're beginning to get to the serious stuff, aren't you? You're a round away from the quarterfinals. You're a couple of rounds away from the semifinals at Wembley. It could save the season. We've said it before, haven't we? But if they were able to salvage silverware from the wreckage of this campaign with the positivity of the new investment and an improved performance in the league in the second half of the season, that would be more like it, wouldn't it? Huge. It's huge. Well, you know, you, you look at some of the other draws, the fact that Tottenham Hotspur are going to be playing Manchester City as well means one of the top six rivals will not make it to the next round. Chelsea um, Villa as well. Yeah. So United win this game and you, you never know how, which way the balls are going to come out. But things could open up for them nicely. It's also a massive opportunity for players that are going to try. You know, Ten Hag is loath to rotate the team, but hmm. Newport County is going to be the Manchester United debut of Altai Bayin there, right? This is. Is it though? Oh, him or Tom be. Heaton. <laughs> I don't think you can get another Tommy private jet. <laughs> or, 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 you know. Andre Onana's got form for it with his private <laughs> jets. You know, Cameroon end up going out on Saturday. They lose their last 16 tie. He jumps on his jet and he gets himself across to Newport. As a Ghanaian, I'm I'm rooting for Andre Onana's Cameroon to win against Nigeria. So, no. Um, but, yeah, I think that there's, there's, there is an opportunity for the likes of Bayern Deer, possibly a man you know, coming off the bench. As you know, something Would you like be that. shocked if you picked Tom Heaton though, Carl? Seriously? No, I wouldn't be shocked because there's very little Ten Hag does now that can shock me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've reached that stage. I, 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 I'm fascinated to see who he picks because if he is going to play Altai Bayern Deer now, Laurie, what, why has he waited till now? I think because... <laughs> And Joe Nana had a rocky start, right? Like if he'd come in all guns blazing and you know been pinging assists to Marcus Rashford. But isn't that a reason to play the backup keeper if the first choice is at a rocky start? You're probably right. Yeah, yeah. You know, ruthless kind of no no love loss. I mean, you know, Ferguson obviously took David De Gea out of the team at periods in his first season. Um, I, I suppose Tenag just felt that because it was such a pivotal transfer that. You know, he was part of. You know, he instigated that he needed to kind of see it through and to then take Onana out of the team would have felt like dropping him. You know, it would have been the, the attention. It was probably different in De Gea's era because he was a young, very young player at the start of his career, signed for a lot of money for for the age that he was and the profile that he had. But it wasn't like he was coming in with a full expectation to be, you know, United's number one for the next ten years. I mean, I suppose that was the idea, that was the hope, but it wasn't like it was already established. And so I think that Ferguson probably had a bit more latitude to rotate him and it wasn't such a big deal. Whereas I think if Tenag had taken Onana out of the team after, for example, that Bayern Munich game where he's just, you know, let one in, um, I think it would have been people, you know, clamming on the back of it and oh Onana's not the guy and would what would that have done for his, you know, personal confidence. I think Tenag felt like he needed to back his goalkeeper in that sense. And do we know that Thomas Heaton has got previous experience of playing at Newport County? I mean, he would have played at a, a lot of teams like this. I'm sure he's probably been there in his league career as well with some of the loans and so on that he had um, during his time at United previously. It, it would be a little bit of a, a gamble, would it not, to throw Bayern Deer in or am I being really, really unfair now? Come on, Ian. He's an, he's an international goalkeeper. Exactly, yeah. You've got, you've got to take stuff. And, and he too, on his way up, will have played at smaller grounds as well. And there's a lot of smaller teams in, in Turkey. 
Now, I don't know whether Tom played in 04. I'm trying to find any evidence of him actually played, but this is getting really geekish here now. Now, Bayern didn't need to play football. Otherwise, if he's not going to play any minutes, then I'm, I'm starting to think, why sign him? You say he's an international goalkeeper. His place in a Turkish squad is at risk. He, of course. He's got fewer than a dozen caps and he was sort of in a in a rivalry with other goalkeepers before the manager went for a more experienced option in the most recent international break. But you know, if Bayern Dier will want to make the Euro 2024 squad, he will want to play. And the difficulty now is we, we know Ten Hag doesn't believe in cup goalkeepers. So even if he, you know, comes in United's defence is absolutely porous and he makes nine amazing wonder saves there's no guarantee he's going to play in the next round but I'm excited to get a glimpse at a promising young goalkeeper if only for 90 minutes yeah it will be interesting won't it no doubt it'd be good to learn exactly what he's like and then you wonder then moving forward if he has a great game what does that mean um obviously it's going to depend on how long Cameroon stay at AFCON as well um that last game against uh, Gambia was crazy. Onana was benched. Unbelievable things. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you missed it, Cameroon led three times, were pegged back twice, were then pegged back a third time in stoppage time, uh, which was then the goal ruled out because of a ridiculous handball. And um, and basically, I think if they'd drawn that game, would they end up going out, Carl? I think yeah. uh, it was t- nip and tuck, wasn't it? It was real nip and tuck. Um it was also one of the results where the 90th minute winner at 3-2 eliminated Ghana, so that hurt me as well. But fine, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, Anana's in a very odd situation in that he was dropped to the bench uh, and the starting goalkeeper was also an Onana because it's his cousin. Right. <laughs> it's a lovely line, that. Um, Andy, have you found out, just just to round it off then, last minute or so, have you, have you found out whether Thomas Heaton did indeed play at Newport County in 2004? No, I consulted Manchester United, the forgotten fixtures. Incredible. Okay. Friendlies. <laughs> wow, what a book. I know, by Ian McCartney. Listeners, he's gone, he's gone into his library I behind him, by the way, throughout all this and yeah. found this book. But it only does first team games, so... So your fixture's so forgotten, it's not even in the book that's called Forgotten Fixtures. Yeah, yeah. Was it even remembered in the first place? <laughs> I don't. Well, it was a listener to this podcast, Jamie Swift, who actually sent me a picture of the programme to say that that game existed in 2004 because... I didn't know. I was on the pre-season tour in 2004. I think United played in, in the United States. So now someone will definitely come back to us and go, Tommy and, you know, not only played, but scored the last minute header in this friendly against Newport County. I mean, <laughs> I need I need evidence that this game existed. I told Neil Wood, the old um, Man United and Salford manager, and all he said was, that was a long time ago. But I mean, that, that doesn't <laughs> confirm that it actually happened, does it? Or that he played in it. No. We need to um, put eight athletic journalists onto this, dig out, did this game happen? Where was it? What was the score? Who played? Did Thomas Heaton feature? Yeah, that's the question that we all need to know. Anyway, that's it then for Talk of the Devils for this episode. Thank you for listening at home, Carl, Andy and Laurie. Thank you for your company as always. We'll be back after that Newport game, whatever happens, of course. And a last reminder, please get on that website and give us a vote. We're up for Best Team Podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards. Voting closes on Sunday and we'll post the links out to that. Thank you for your support as always. We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye.
Athletic.